Welcome to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2. Today we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're turning in for the first time, the Talent Talk radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent or are uniquely talented themselves. On this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how top HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully, you see how that works. The word talent has a couple meanings here in the business world, and this show looks to explore them. My guests uh, include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, uh, bloggers, uh, all types of influencers on HR and talent. And when I'm out at networking events and industry conferences meeting these people, I have the privilege of finding out more about them and what they do. And so I created this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and learn some practical advice that will hopefully help your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget you can submit your questions via Twitter to my guests. Just tweet at uh, PeopleG2, hashtag Talent Talk. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget, you can also listen to our show via our podcast on iTunes or Android, as well as subscribe to have the weekly show sent to you. We have, uh, I think as of the last count the other day, over 9,200 subscribers uh, listening to the show on their treadmill, in the car, or wherever they may be that's convenient for them. So thank you. With that said, uh, let's get the show started. My uh, guests today are Chris Dunn, the CHRO at Kinetics and the editor of uh, HR Capitalist and Fistful of Talent. Those of you in the HR world probably know those uh, two uh, blogs very well. And also Jennifer McClure, President and Chief Talent Strategist at Unbridled Talent. Jennifer will be joining me in the second half of the show. So let's get started with our first guest. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Pleasure pleasure to be with you today. So tell us about yourself, your background, your company, uh, and you know what you're doing over there at uh, Kinetics. Yeah, so, you know, I'm a long-term HR leader, kind of up to the ranks, HR manager, HR director, VP of HR, big big companies, small companies, you know, kind of started out in Fortune 500 companies, um, client groups as big as like 6,000 employees, went small in 2005, went to some venture-backed software firms, had a lot of fun there, and then in 2010, found what has proven to be a great partner, a lady named Shannon Russo, who's a former M&A executive at Sterion, who got entrepreneurial in 2004 and actually founded Kinetics. Um, and I found her, and uh, recruiting's always been one of my sweet spots from a, from a talent perspective as an HR leader. So I made the decision to make an investment in Kinetics back in 2010, and uh, it's been about three and a half years. So what we do at Kinetics. I'm a partner and I'm the CHRO. What we do at Kinetics is we help companies recruit great talent. And we do that a variety of ways. One of the ways is we're an RPO firm. So we'll outsource blocks of positions that companies are, are struggling with filling and we'll, we'll recruit under their brand. And so our recruiters will take the email addresses and telephony and, and really the brand of the company that we're recruiting for and really act as what they are, which is recruiters for that firm rather than recruiting under the Kinetics brand. And then we also do some single position search for those companies as well. But it's been three and a half years moving from kind of pure play HR where recruiting was part of what I did to really uh, being a recruiter first and foremost. We also do all talent consulting, all HR consulting, but recruitment for bread and butter. So uh, that's kind of what Kinetics does. Well, you guys have a great tagline. I think it's, uh, we can hire faster than you can grow, which I really liked when I, when I saw that. You know, what yeah. is it you think that uh, Kinetics is doing in the recruitment and staffing area that really sets you apart from other companies in your space? Well, I think what we're trying to do, you know, 
some of your listeners are probably familiar with the RPO model. Some of them probably aren't. Um, so we probably don't have enough time here today to educate everybody on the RPO model. But, but what we try and do, I think what she and I have been really focused on, is we wanted to, to build an RPO and a recruitment solution that we would actually buy from. So, you know, my memory is pretty long. So even though it's been three and a half years since I was in corporate America as a VP of HR, Really, we went about this thing. She was already doing it, so I tried to help her. But we're trying to build a recruitment solution that I would have bought from as a director or VP of HR. And, you know, some of the ways we do that is, you know, in addition to doing what you would expect, which is kind of fill positions with best possible people at a really predictable cost, um, you know, in a, in a short timeline, we're really trying to add features to the, the recruiting solution we provide. So we do a lot of stuff on the employment brand. We do a lot from a communications perspective. So we've got companies that we've really taken over their entire career site and are really doing more marketing on their behalf in addition to just kind of the core recruitment services we provide. We do a lot of assessment stuff. Um, we're a big believer in that with every submittal we make to one of our clients with the candidate in question. We like to dig in to figure out what makes them tick behaviorally as well as kind of the knowledge, skills, you know, and abilities, experience that you would expect that type of rundown. We like to dig into the DNA of the candidate. So really, long story short, Chris, we're trying to provide a lot of features that most recruiting companies either can or will provide because of maybe the cost and time involved. And we know that even if that decreases, like our own profitability, we'll have customers a lot longer. And uh, ultimately, that's good for everybody, both us and, and the customers and clients we serve. Well, you mentioned uh, when you started there that you really were trying to build a company that you would want to have, have bought from when you were you know, in that position uh, as a VP of that's HR right. or different things. So you know, how much of, of what maybe Connects has really built do you think was driven by you know your own ideas or your own influence? Certainly from like a, a marketing perspective, you know, if you go out to our website, we're at kineticshr.com. Um, if you go out to our website, we, we have kind of a unique brand and we don't expect everyone in the marketplace to think that we're the right solution for them. You know, our brand is kind of built on hopefully a very transparent view into the, the way we think about talent. And candidly, we expect a lot of people to see that that transparency and that that authenticity that that i hope we provide and really say wow that's just too much um for me so we know that we're not for everybody but really what we're trying to do chris is we we want you know 25 30 percent of the marketplace to say hey when i have a need i really need to reach out to them because it looks like they think about things the way i do so back to your original question you know what was probably driven by me shannon and i have a tremendous tremendous amount of overlap the way we view the world. I think for people who are familiar with me from the HR capitalists or fiscal of talent, what you're going to find is kind of an extension of those brands mm-hmm. and the way we view talent at Kinetics. So the way we market ourselves, the way we'll market your company, similar to what you would expect if you hire the HR capitalists or fiscal of talent to, to market your company from a recruiting perspective. That's probably the overlap that's been most driven by me, but I have to say she has a big influence in that. I wouldn't have joined her, and she wouldn't be the perfect partner for me if uh, we didn't have tons of overlap in, in terms of the way we view the world. Certainly from your experience, I think you would probably agree that you know HR and recruiting over the years has kind of had seen some changes, not only in, in how uh, HR is understood, but also the importance of, of that department within a company. But you know, I think that even recruiting is, has changed and how people interact with that has, has really kind of developed and gotten more sophisticated. And when, really, when it comes to recruiting top talent, though, you know, what do you think is important for people to remember uh, when they're going out there and trying to cultivate, you know, the best of the best or at least the best for them in, at, at that time and place? Yeah, well, you know, I think, you know, simply posting jobs, getting your jobs out to the aggregators like Indeed.com, you know, and all the normal activity that's kind of associated with, hey, this is the way we recruit. You know, I think the thing I would say first and foremost is that's kind of farming, and that's almost a commodity, and that's what everybody does. Mm -hmm. So back to the way you phrased the question, when really it comes to the top talent, you know, when you're talking about maybe the top 10%, at the most, the top 20% of candidates that 
you know, your CEO really wants. Simply like posting the job is not going to be enough. There's a couple different things you need to do, additional things you need to do, you know, to build awareness, to build trust and to develop a relationship with, with those top candidates. You know, the first thing you got to do is you got to reach out to them before you have a need. So they have to be aware of you and your brand before you actually have a need. You could certainly reach out to them when you do have a need. If they, if they take the time to research you, then you've got a shot, but there's always a chance that they'll be too busy and they'll have, you know, your message is going to be like one of five or six they've received that week and they're, they're not going to take the time to research you. So what we believe is you've got to be developing relationships with those candidates and then in the background behind that, you've got to make your brand look, you know, you really have to provide a glimpse inside your company and provide a very authentic, transparent glimpse of what it's like to work for your organization, what you value. And hopefully if you do that right, that's going to, that's going to have a lot of overlap with, with the top talent you want to recruit. And what we find is that there's unbelievable space for companies that really want to attract top talent to really market themselves in a different way. So I think the biggest difference between companies that are able to attract top talent and companies that are not able to, to attract that same talent is the, the companies that can do it really market themselves in a, in a very transparent way and they engage candidates. And the companies that can't do it really are treating their employment brands and the relationships they're trying to develop with candidates like commodities. And the commodity scene doesn't work with with the with the top people that are out there. Yeah, I think if you market out there generically, you're going to get some generic applicants back, and uh, that may not be what you need. You may need uh, yeah. specific talents and people who can really bring home uh, the initiatives that your company has in place. So a very generic process is going to get you a very generic response. That's, that's uh, yeah across yeah, the board. I mean, you know, Chris, the other the other thing I would tell you real quickly is that. Hey, you can, you can give people a look inside your employment brand, but really in today's world, even, even that's not enough. You really almost have to, have to really ask yourself, okay, what are my, what are my top three or four areas where I need, where I really need top talent? You know, what are those functional areas? What do those specialists look like? And then you've almost got to take that, that big employment brand and you've got to sub-brand it out and, and, you know, give those people a glimpse of what they'd be working on who they'd be working with, why all that's valuable within that specialty or that functional area. And that's that's really what the best companies are doing is they're really mining down, you know, if it's .NET developers, they're really developing content and marketing to .NET developers in addition, in addition to marketing their overall brand. Uh, that's, a, that's a great tip that uh, how people can really, you know, use some very tactical things to do to go out there and, as you said, really demonstrate in a very transparent way how their how they would what their job would look like what would they actually be doing who they're going to work with you know what what might be exciting about that and someone who's in that position who wants to be uh at that title in the company might really find that engaging as opposed to a very you know generic net developer you know wanted and you know it, instead of giving them a real real glimpse of what they might be doing yeah, and I always, like, I'll give you one example. It's like a freebie for anybody that, that's listening to this. Like, when it comes to software developers, one of the, and this wasn't my idea, I stole this idea, by the way, but one of the most successful things I've ever seen done is really share code. So we'll just, we'll stay on the .NET, you know, developer front. If you got to recruit, you know, 50 or 60 .NET developers every year, and certainly .NET developers, that's always a tight market, you know, one of the most powerful things I've ever seen done is to have the, the people inside your company share non-proprietary code. And as part of the content strategy, engage candidates to look at their code. Because if there's one thing, you know, software development candidates love to do, it's love to look at code, troubleshoot, give opinions, et cetera, et cetera. So just sharing snippets of code every once in a while to a marketing list of candidates that you're trying to touch base with and keep in touch with and develop a relationship with, that is like probably the most powerful type of content you could use. And it automatically creates a relationship with the people inside your company and the people you're trying to recruit to, to join that team. Well, that's a really powerful tip. I'm, I'm Hopefully uh, people listening will be able to 
take that and engage it into their company. You know, I wanted to switch gears here for a second and talk a little bit about some of the other things that you mentioned, uh, Fistful of Talent being one of them. You know, we recently had uh, William Tinkup on the show, who's a regular contributor for that uh, sure. blog. And yeah. I was wondering if you could share a little bit about, you know, what is Fistful of Talent for those that maybe don't know and uh, and what you hope people read and, and, and really get out of that. Yeah, so, you know, Fistful of Talent was formed, I think, in March of 2008. So it's amazing. You know, we'll be, we'll be coming up on our sixth year. And basically what it is, Fistful of Talent is a collection of HR pros, recruiting pros, talent pros. We try and find the best out there that are willing to share their thoughts. And right now we've got 14 or 15 contributors and we, we take turns. We share the writing burden every day. So there's only something fresh up at fistfuloftalent.com. And basically what we want to do is we want to engage people again, kind of with that transparent voice to say, Hey, here's what I'm working on. Or from my perspective, here's something that's going on in the talent world and here's what I think about it. And really the, the thing, you know, William's a great example of this and, and really with all our contributors, what we really focus them on is, you know, the writing you'll find at Fistful of Talent is not real clinical. You know, it's not very formal. You know, all of our writers are people doing things in the field. And when they write, they write like they talk, which I think is one of the most powerful things you can do. So the style is very informal. You know, we encourage and really demand that anybody that writes there has an opinion. And we try and get, you know, great conversations started by someone like William Tincup sharing their opinion on a given day. And uh, we've got a strong following, strong audience. So, you know, the email goes out, goes out across social, get a lot of organic traffic from, from Google. And uh, it's, pretty, it's a pretty interesting community. And I would tell you out of all the things I've done professionally, just kind of, you know, you know, being the proprietor of Fistful of Talent and being the kind of the founder and the editor of that, all the people that I've met, not only the contributors, but the people like you who read it, I mean, that's just a really, like, powerful community. I've learned a lot from people like yourself um, just by kind of providing the platform. So I wish I would have done it earlier in my career. Well, and you, you brought up a really interesting point that uh, we talked a little bit with William when he was on the show uh, before we took our break. Having that personality, having that, you know, it's sort of a real opinion and within that, in the writing, and that's probably why it's successful. And I can't tell you how many times we've, we've written content for my company. I'll have my PR people. I have people who edit things for me, and they want to tone it down to this very generic, polite business, very boring type of a document And right. because it's safe and because it won't offend anyone and because it will, you know. But on the flip side, it has no personality. Right. <laughs> no one wants to read it because it just it, it it's not bad, but it's not good either. And yeah. you know, I think it really. I'd, I'd rather have someone read something and say this is this is just crap. I don't want to read it and throw it away. Or and have the next person go, oh, this is great. I really resonate with this person. I get what they're saying. I understand their frustration, or I understand the point they're trying to make. And I think that that's a lot of times when I've read things on your on your blog there. That's the kind of connection I get with some of the the articles because it isn't written in this very, I don't know, t terrible business formal, you know, yeah. uh, you know, very like almost to, uh, above everyone else type of a language. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, no, I do, Chris. You know, and and what I always tell people, you know, when they're thinking about their own writing or they're thinking about like they they want to join Fistful. As I always tell people, man, you know, people have literally a million choices related to what they're going to read on the web, whether it's for pleasure or for business, whatever. And there's so much clutter out there that if you don't write in an interesting way that has an opinion, has a point of view, you look like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like people are going to be ho-hum about giving, you know, your hard work, what, what you did that blood, sweat, and tears on. They're going to be ho-hum about giving you any attention. I would much rather um, alienate, you know, 30% or 40% of the entire market by kind of the, the swagger that Fistful of Talent has, as long as with people like you, Chris, like 20, 25% of the marketplace feels a stronger emotional tug mm -hmm. to read what happens at Fistful of Talent or Kinetics. 
to read those things every day or, you know, once a week or twice a week. If, if I can convince 20% of the marketplace to give me a bigger chance and they're giving all that boring stuff, then I win, even if I alienate 40% of the marketplace because they're just not comfortable and they don't think that's the way things should be done. So it's right. kind of the state of affairs with everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, uh, it's just how content works, you know, across the Internet. I mean, people need to connect with it, and they got to want to come back, and they got to remember you and want to read more or subscribe to get it alerted when you have more posts come up. And if you just don't catch their attention that one time they happen to come by, then you're not going to get them. Uh, they're not going to come back a second time. <laughs> yeah, and Chris, real quick, you know, I think that's also a lesson for companies and their employment brands. You know, when yeah. they're when they're trying to create content or a presence to attract candidates, again, there's so many choices out there. Um, you know, you have to like find the perfect kit, get the aggregators going your way. People are going to spam you, but for the top talent, really, what they want is an authentic voice. Mm-hmm. And if you're that authentic voice, they don't have to agree with everything you say. And you don't have to take tremendous chances, but you've got to take some risks. In the big scheme of things, the risks you have to take in order to break through that clutter really aren't risky at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, many uh, HR professionals that we've had on the show and, and, and those that I talked to have talked about this sort of transformation of HR from being a more transactional type of a uh, department to be a more strategic player within the company, especially those companies that are really growing that are being successful. HR really seems to be a part of the the strategic plan and and the strategic voice uh, within the company. Can, can you maybe talk a little bit about your understanding of this and how you're you're seeing that uh, kind of playing out firsthand? Well, you know, we recruit a lot of HR leaders at Kinetics. So HR is one of like six or seven of the major skill sets that we recruit for. And, you know, as you might expect, like, through the HR capitalists and fiscal of talent, you know, I have the world view that, you know, the transactional people are dinosaurs. I mean, they're they're destined for, you know, extinction, whether they are managers, directors, or VPs. And, and transactional people exist at all levels of the HR function across all companies. They exist. Um, they're on the way out. But like dinosaurs, it's going to take a while. Do you think it's more of a, a people problem? Do you think it's those people have a mindset of being transactional? Or do you think that it's the, from the top down, that you know, well, the, I, at the I, highest I, levels, I, they were viewing I, HR as transactional? Well, I think, I think they do view it as transactional. I, I think there's a lot of people that made their bones over the last 20 years. Or, you know, or this can also be like a newbie that's been in it three to five years and just has a transactional bent. You know, like we have an assessment at Kinetics we call Talent DNA, and I would tell you that I can look at an HR candidate across, like, our, our behavioral assessment. I can look at an HR candidate across that, and I can tell you whether they're, they're a clerk or whether they're an assassin from the standpoint of their worldview. Sure. You know, are they really going to drive change? Are they going to innovate? They can do those things. I can look at that assessment and tell you just within their DNA what they're capable of. Um, so I think it's really back, Chris. I think it's really back to like what's in the behavioral DNA of that person. And I think you know what we see when we help clients like find the next great HR manager, HR director, or VP of HR. When we help them find that, we're helping them sort that out. I would tell you that when it comes to a search firm like Kinetics. Anyone that's willing to pay for HR search, like almost without exception, doesn't want transactions. Mm -hmm. They don't want somebody who's focused on transactions. They want someone who has the capability to innovate. And innovation means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But at its base, it means that people are intellectually curious and they'll pursue that curiosity really across any functional area, HR is no different. But when people pay for search in HR, what they want is they want somebody with the ability to innovate, drive change, and add real value. And I have the saying that I I really believe in that, you know, an HR leader who's going to innovate, their responsibility, both for themselves and for anybody that they manage in that HR function, is to push transactions down to the smallest possible percentage of time to give people more time to do what really matters. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what we're seeing out there in, in the HR marketplace. Well, I think one of the ways that people can can be strategic, they can be inventive and, and really help 
be that person that I think we're talking about right now is to continue to, to learn. And one of our favorite questions to ask our guest uh, is, what are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Well, I, I am reading David and Goliath by, by Gladwell. Um, so, so I'm, I'm reading that. I'm about halfway through it. I was a big fan of Outliers. And mm-hmm. by the way, Chris, um, if you want, we at Kinetics, our, our holiday book giveaway for our clients was a copy of Outliers. So oh, that's very cool. what I'll do, any, anybody that messages you that makes it this far in the, in the, in the show, Anybody that messages you, the first three people that message you and say, give me a copy of, of Outliers from Chris, you tell me who they are, and we'll send it out from Kinetics. All right. We'll do it. Um, but I'm reading David and Goliath. Um, that's interesting, kind of talking about the fact that, hey, being David instead of being the big guy, being the small guy, is actually a competitive advantage in a lot of different ways. So kind of talks about the nimbleness, uh, you know, being small can provide in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I believe it all, but but it's an interesting read, and, uh, you know, it's thought-provoking. So I'm reading right, that right now. I think I'm also reading, and I struggle with the name. Um, I put it down. I read about a third of it over Thanksgiving. I'm also reading, I think it's Team of Rivals. That's the book about Lincoln and yeah. uh, his, his opponents in the primary that ultimately became cabinet members. Yeah, and then and Obama certainly uh, copied that uh, as well. It was a, a book sure. that he, he he listed many times. So we've had quite a few guests talk about that as as a book that was really uh, influential, important to them as well. Yeah, and it's a book that looks like the New York City uh, phone book, so it's a little intimidating. But uh, <laughs> once you get into it, uh, it's a good read. So I'm reading those right now. Also on the queue, I've got the um, the biography of Dr. J. Julius Irving just came out with uh, the first book of his career, so I'm getting ready to read that, and uh, we'll see what happens with that one. We have a lot of guests that also talk about reading biographies, and, and I think, you know, really trying to look at what made that person so special, what is it, you know, what were the choices, what are the things that they did, what really drove them to, to be the best, and I, I think a lot of us kind of get that kind of uh, looking through their eyes in an introspective way to try to, you know, learn from them. Uh, it amazes yeah. me how many people in HR and how many CEOs and, and, and these kind of top people we have on the show read biographies on a regular basis. Yeah, I'm a big nonfiction guy, and I think it's for all the, all the reasons you just mentioned. I think I'm trying to uh, soak up, you know, backgrounds, thoughts, things like that that you just, you know, for the most part can't directly correlate you know, with with heavy, heavy fiction. And then, you know, the other thing I always read, I'm a big Fortune Magazine and, and Business Week um, reader. You know, it's amazing, even out of Business Week, all the strategy mm-hmm. you know, that you can get and how it makes you think about your business, even if it's in a completely different industry, yeah. and how it applies. You know, so you read about Netflix, you read about, you know, the you know wide variety of companies you know new small big you know dying you know makes you think about your own business and just kind of keeps keeps pushing you to think about what's next he has a lot of great resources out there well chris we really enjoyed having you on the show real quick if you can in a, just in a couple sentences tell me how uh, people can get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more yeah, hey, um, so check out hrcapitalist.com, fistfulofcalent.com. Um, check us out at kinetichr.com. You need to, if you need to email me, email address is kdunn, K-D-U-N-N, at kinetichr.com. You can Google any of those things and ultimately find my email address. I'd love to talk to anybody I can help. In case anyone is wondering, uh, kinetics is K-I-N. E T I X. You're so kind. I was going to do that, but then I thought it already already took too much time. (laughs) No, we'd love to have you in the show. We'd love to have you come back and uh, update us on what you're doing uh, down the road. And uh, again, it was a pleasure having you. Uh, Sounds great. Thanks for your time, Chris. Thank you. Jennifer McClure is coming up next after we take this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. 
When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. And now back to Chris and his next guest. My next guest is Jennifer McClure, the president and chief talent strategist at Unbridled Talent. Uh, don't forget to tweet your questions live right now for Jennifer by sending them to at peopleg2, hashtag talent talk. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. And it's great to be on the show with my mentor and friend, Chris Dunn. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad we have you both uh, on uh, on the on the same show. I know there was a connection there. But uh, before we get there, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, uh, Unbridled Talent. I spent about 20 years of my career in HR leadership and executive positions. Uh, you know, working in a variety of industries, including manufacturing, consumer goods, distribution. And then in about 2005, the company I worked for was sold, and I kind of went through that midlife crisis or mid-career crisis many people go through, where I said, you know, I want to do something different, something more. And so I actually engaged a career coach at that time and kind of worked through what my skills and talents were and had an the back of my mind at the time that I wanted to start my own consulting business, but through talking with a lot of people, I was actually steered into executive recruiting. So I worked work with a local executive search firm, kind of learned the relationship building and business development process there for a few years, worked with some great people at a company called Centennial Inc. here in Cincinnati, and then in 2010 did kind of take the step out on my own, and my business focuses on developing the best leaders possible um, and working with companies on ensuring they have the right talent strategy to attract the leaders that they need to their organization. So I do that primarily through speaking, training, workshops, and some strategic consulting with clients in those areas, as well as some executive coaching. You talked a little bit about providing the education and coaching uh, as regards to the overall kind of talent strategy of your company. When you think about maybe one or two of the companies you've assisted in this area, what seems to be the biggest challenges that they face in figuring out a real solid strategy to attract top talent? Sure. Usually um, people at companies or potential clients, clients are, are usually very clear on what the problem is, and it's often that we're not able to attract and or hire the right people into the positions that we need, uh, and in some, many cases we're not able to retain them. So everybody can agree on what the problem is. What happens from there, though, is they don't always have the answer to what the right person is. So they know that it's what they have today or what they're attracting recruiting today is not necessarily the best fit for them and not helping them to achieve their goals, but they haven't really taken the time to actually define what skills, talents, and abilities the people that they need have. So they may be going out there with a job description that is just the traditional job description for whatever the position is called and four-year degree and an X number of years of experience. Experience, but they've not actually sat down as a team or as a leadership team and said, for this role, what are the critical skill sets that we need? What do the successful people in those positions look like? Where did they come from? What backgrounds do they have? And then also, what are we doing to help develop the people that we hire into those positions? So not identifying the right type of person for the position and then also not knowing where those people actually exist. You know, so if we are just running ads on job boards or if we're placing them on our website, are the people that we're looking for actually hanging out in those places? If we're tweeting our jobs on Twitter or posting them on Facebook, is the target market that we're seeking actually hanging out there? And often 
you know, the first question I'll ask is, well, where are you getting talent today, and does that match with where you're spending your budget dollars? And more often than not, in fact, in the majority of cases, the budget dollars are being spent not where we get the best candidates, but often it's where we get the most. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's we're spending a lot of money on job boards, we get a lot of applicants through there, but the people who actually are the best quality hires and those that stay longer come from a different source. So taking the time to really look into what the talent is, where they hang out, and who is the best fit for us, and where do they come from. Well, and that really echoes what Chris uh, Dunn just talked about uh, at the top of the show, you know, not having this generic type of uh, process in bringing in new applicants. Um, it needs to really be focused. It really needs to be um, very transparent and very uh, unique and maybe creative and to find those best people instead of just blatantly, you know, sending out all these job board placements and hoping, you know, you're going to somehow find that needle in the haystack. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like anything else in life. If you want to have the best or hire the best or get the most value for your investment, it's not more than likely going to be a generic approach. You're going to have to spend some time and effort into really crafting kind of a surgical um, approach and making sure that if it's not working, that you're changing and that you are using the tools that job candidates, both active and passive, are using today to find out about jobs. The thing that we noticed in your background we found kind of interesting was you started a professional network uh, back in 2007. It sounds like you were quite busy after you, that company closed or was sold, you said, in 2005. You really uh, didn't sit still. So in 2007, you started the LinkedIn uh, Cincinnati Professional Networking Group, and it now has 35,000 members. Can you talk a little bit about that group and kind of what the end goal there is for you? Sure. Um, actually, I did. I looked this morning. I don't look at it every day, but I looked this morning. It's over 38,000 members in the group today. As I said, I started as an executive recruiter in 2006, and I'm naturally introverted. So when I came into that role, I didn't have a big network. It was full cycle recruiting, 100% commission. So I had to go out and develop the relationships, develop the clients, be able to deliver the candidates that were the right match, et cetera. And so to do that, I had to kind of pour myself wholeheartedly into network. And the easiest way for me to network as an introvert was really to focus on how I could connect other people. So, in other words, learning about you so that when I learn about somebody else, if there is a synergy there, that I can connect you. So that kind of took the focus off of me and helped me to think about it more as an activity, and I'm very accomplishment-oriented, success-oriented. So if I can go to a networking event and talk to people and find ways to connect people, then I can see that as a success. So... I was using LinkedIn at the time, which was pretty much in its infancy. Mm-hmm. It was also, you know, certainly a way to connect people. And at the time, they did not have where anyone could create groups. And so when they announced that they were going to allow people to actually go in and create groups, I was probably within the first day or so of that with Link Cincinnati. And I mm-hmm. just saw it as a way that I could help connect people in the Cincinnati area, the goal being to help them grow their professional careers or their businesses. So anybody that has a you know a connection to the uh, area of Cincinnati that can join the group, that can maybe provide a resource or share what they're doing in order to help others, that's kind of how the group started. And so that's been my focus and being the, the manager and the moderator of the group is to really keep it focused on how can we help each other? You know, are people able to talk about things that are important to them in terms of their businesses and their careers? And I think as a result, it's you know steadily grown and been seen as a great resource for people. Well, it's quite an accomplishment. Now, uh, you said 38,000 members strong. That's uh, really a great thing, I think, that you've done, and I'm sure a lot of people get a tremendous value out of having that network uh, and having a place to go where they can meet people and uh, and, and find the right people to help them in their own career or in, and to help others as well. So, sure, and I think, you know, from a networking perspective or even a business development perspective, it, it did accomplish, you know, the, the ultimate goal, which was to help build my brand recognition out in the community as well as the recognition of the company that I work for. So while I don't go in and, and do a lot of posting comments or or, or posting anything, all, all promotional activities go in promotions, whether they're mine or somebody else's, uh, it really helped 
um, at that time, again, where I was looking to develop a network to, to, you know, everybody gets a welcome email from me. It helped get my name recognition out there. So I think, you know, from a networking perspective for anyone, whether you're a job seeker or just a business professional or a business owner, thinking about ways you can help other people, there's typically a secondary benefit of, of helping yourself at the same time. Well, and, and, and really developing your own brand, which I'm sure really helps now as a consultant and coach. Certainly some of your past experiences, though, must have really helped you or developed you to ultimately take on that role. What are some some of the things that happened to you or some of the takeaways that you had in your, your previous roles uh, that really play into being a successful consultant and coach? Sure. I, I think uh, kind of looking back over the career, um, and I'm, I'm not old by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm certainly uh, you know 25 plus years in my career, and I kind of look back in the you know the HR portion, the first uh, well, I guess I got about 30 years, first 20 or so years of my career in HR, and I was the typical HR professional, as you know, Chris Dunn was talking about in the first segment of your show, uh, probably very transaction oriented. You know, I started as a one person HR department and a growing company and so I had to establish rules and policies and get people paid and so that's kind of how I grew up and how I learned and then as I grew with larger companies in my career um as I said, I kind of look back now and say, wow, you know, I, I did a lot of that wrong. You know, I was very command and control and very rules and this is the way we do it and kind of black and white and even had some, you know, bosses joke with me about that. But over time, obviously, or hopefully, I, I began to see that that wasn't the way to get things done. Um, and so I think I've matured in a sense that has then ultimately helped me as a, a, you know, a business owner and also as a coach and strategic advisor into understanding the importance of really developing relationships in the internal organization and building influence. So finding ways to gain credibility, to gain others' respect, and you don't get that through the command and control rules, policies, and procedures. So right. it comes down to really understanding the business, and I always love to, you know, know how we make money and and. You know, everything from how we bring the stuff in to make the products or to create the service and ship it, um, really understanding that business, understanding how I as a human resources leader or as an executive recruiter or as an outside resource can help the company grow their business through people. So that's getting the right people on the bus, making sure they have the right skills and developing those people. So I think that that maturation process, if you want to call it that, has been helpful. It's, um, you know, made me a lot wiser. And I, I've always well, I've said for the last few years, I would be a, a, a thousand percent more effective as an HR professional today than I ever was when I was actually in HR because I've learned so much both during that time, but now as an external resource advisor and someone who's connected with other great HR people, recruiting leaders, talent leaders, and I'd be able to apply that so much better. So I try to do that through my consulting work and through speaking and training. Would you say there was a particular person in in your life, whether it's outside of work or within your work as a mentor, that maybe had the most impact on you in your career? You know, in terms of one person, um, I just have to say it's a compilation of many, and it's it's definitely been the the CEOs and the, the bosses that I've worked for. I've had both great bosses, and I've had some that were pretty bad. And I think taking all of the learning experiences from, you know, seeing what a great boss can do and how they can set a vision and get people excited about it and then actually create the team or build the team to make that happen, that certainly was very happy. Uh, helpful to me in, in developing my own ability to do that. It's also been helpful to have people who trusted me and encouraged me. And I can think of, you know, one particular CEO that was really uh, a big part of my career and making me feel like I could do things, try things, be innovative, fail, you know, and not, um, get fired as a result. So it's been a multiple people and then over the last few years, it's actually been people that I've developed relationships with through reading their blogs or connecting with them on social media. So Chris Dunn, as I mentioned earlier, I would consider him a mentor. The HR Capitalist was one of the first blogs that I actually started reading. I was one of the original writers on This Full of Talent as a result of connecting with Chris uh, back in 2008 through his blog. And we never met in person for a couple of years after that. But I feel like he helped me to grow as a leader and as 
an HR professional and also helped me to connect to other people through social media, through their blogs, through Twitter, and I just feel like I've developed a great community of friends, mentors, leaders, advisors through some of that online activity. You gave a really good um, kind of explanation of how great, great leadership, great bosses can really shape uh, how a person develops. Uh, even bad bosses can show you what not to do. Um, it's not very fun to go through that, but you certainly do learn a lot from that experience. You can look back and laugh. Yeah. You can look back and laugh, right, and, and, and make sure you don't repeat those mistakes, but they are they are helpful. But I wonder, you know, one of the questions we like do like to ask our guests is, do you feel like there's a specific skill or technique that you have now that really contributes to your role, but you know, it didn't come naturally? You had to kind of really work at it to, to, to be good at it. Sure. I think getting results through other people has been something that, you know, I, I feel like has created or contributed to my success, but it wasn't the way that I originally started out. I said earlier, I'm, I'm an I'm achiever, I'm a maximizer, I'm my strength finder. So I'm the kind of person that says, you know, there's a goal, we're, I'm going to go achieve it, and here's all the things that I need to do and make that happen. So that was fueled by starting out my career kind of being that one person's show in HR. And Getting into larger roles and larger companies, obviously, that's not the way to do it. Um, being the one that does everything, being, you know, taking on all the responsibilities. So learning how to develop and cultivate the skill of seeking out other people's talents and getting comfortable with, you know, their ideas uh, combined with my ideas or just their ideas combined can make the best solution. So I, I like to think that I've grown in that sense and developed the skill of really getting results through other people, putting them out front, trying to make sure that they get visibility. And I've seen, you know, exponential results through doing that rather than trying to rely on my own efforts to get things done. Well, that's such an important balance and uh, something that people really need to take take note of. I mean, every successful person has to do work. They have to work hard, but they don't have to do it all by themselves, and they don't have to do it alone. And having great people around you and allowing them to shine where they shine best is difficult, but when you can find the right mix and really help them do that, uh, everyone is, is ultimately happier and the company's more successful. Um, it, it seems like a, but it's a balance and it, it's, it's sometimes I think hard for people to do. Kind of based on, on your own choices and path that you've talked about today, I'm, I'm going to guess that you do quite a bit of reading. And one of our favorite, uh, questions for our guests is to ask them, what are you reading right now? You know, I've actually have spent the last, as I mentioned earlier, a couple of years to three years really reading all the blogs and online stuff. And this year, I, well, one of, you know, we all set the beginning of the year goals, and I, I really do want to read more books um, because I do believe that leaders are readers, and I want to make sure that I'm kind of doing a deep dive on a topic. So I started this before Christmas. It's someone I respect and admire. I'm reading a book called Die Empty, and the author is Todd Henry of Accidental Creative. And Todd is someone that I've heard speak before. He has a, a prior book called, I believe, The Accidental Creative. Um, and I really, you know, his talk resonated with me about making sure that we do everything we can to focus on doing our best work. And so the concept of dying empty is making sure that you don't die with your best work inside of you when you go to the grave. So how do you get that out of yourself? How do you create systems to make sure that you are doing your best work every day and what's most important and what's really going to move the needle? And I'm enjoying how he kind of frames that up. I'm also uh, reading someone, another person that I respect and admire, Michael Hyatt, and it's michaelhyatt.com. He had a best-selling book last year called Platform, and it's about how to kind of really build a platform online in order to get your message across. So for me, as both an individual who needs to make sure that I have a strong brand and as a company you know, owner who's trying to make sure that my company is known, I certainly have a lot of activity online, but I want to make sure that it's focused and that it's strategic and that I'm doing the right things. And I think Michael is someone that I admire for how he does that and in his book. He certainly shares some of his secrets, and so I'm uh, enjoying reading that as well. Well, for our listeners uh, today, between our two guests, uh, we have quite a wide range and, and some really interesting books that were brought up, and we can add to our, our, our pile of books that we need to read to uh, uh, to feel better, I think, to, uh, about uh, 2014. Uh, there have been some great suggestions. 
One last question before we get to uh, how people can reach out. I wanted to see if maybe you had any advice for uh, HR leaders and, and for people out there who are really looking to get the most out of their employees from a creativity or a brainstorming type of a session. Do, do you have anything on that end, that, that they quick takeaway that companies might be able to use to get the most out of people? Sure. I think it's important to ask. Uh, and again, as I, I mentioned, I kind of, you know, suffered from the disease myself of that I was always the one with the best ideas and solutions. But finding ways to allow your people to share what their ideas are. So first, communicating and being honest about what the business problem is that we're trying to solve. The business problem might be to increase revenue or to provide excellent customer service. But whatever that business problem is, to then kind of provide an open forum type environment where, you know, brainstorming rules apply where people can share ideas. We're not going to try to explain them. We're not going to, you know, knock ideas off the list. And I've done that um, over the past couple of years a number of ways. You know, some of that is sitting in a room with people and just taking a day or a half day or two hours, whatever we can get, and kind of blue skying on a whiteboard. But I've also been looking at and really trying to find social tools where we can do that. So whether it's an internal social network or even a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group where people can share comments, thoughts, ideas, and then other people in their own time, you know, or their work time can find ways to go in, read those ideas, and then build off them. I think that also can be sometimes even more effective than getting people all in one room. You get a lot of great discussion, but when people have time to sit with an idea and then maybe build off of something or get an idea from someone else's comment, um, I think you can come up with some great ideas and some really great creativity can result from that. Well, Jennifer, you've given our, our listeners today some uh wonderful uh, things to think about and some great suggestions and uh, you've been a, a super guest and appreciate you being on the show uh, but before we go if uh, anyone's interested in uh, getting a ho- reaching out finding out more about you or, or reading your your, your blogs uh, what's the best way for them to do that unbridledtalent.com is the website the blog is on the home page there you can also connect with me on twitter at jennifer mcclure and you also are welcome to sign up for my newsletter which comes out once a month where i kind of share some curated resources as well as you know, something that's going on in the industry uh, and that's actually going to come out this week so you might want to sign up wow jennifer we'd love to have you back on the show if you'd uh, be willing to to give us an update on what you're doing okay love to all right. Uh, that's about all the time we have for today. Thank you again to my special guests, Chris Dunn and Jennifer McClure. Tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for Talent Talk brought to you by People G2. You'll hear Bob Kelly, CEO of ABL. And for those of you that are regular listeners, quite a few guests uh, that I've had on the show have been uh, members of ABL, as, as I am. And uh, he'll have some very interesting and uh, unique perspectives on uh, what top leaders do, as well as we We'll be having uh, Brian Elliott, CEO of the Good Brain Digital Studios and editor-in-chief at Linked Orange County Magazine. He's also done quite a few uh, interviews with some big celebrities. He'll be a great guest. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2. Dedicated to helping clients with their people-related decisions by giving them access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply Google People G2 or visit their website at www.peopleg2.com.